0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to Episode 38 of Hypnosis Weekly. (music) friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a glorious show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview and our discussion with Judy Reese. Yes, indeed, the interview and discussion are rolled into one this week. We'll be discussing clean language and hypnosis and so on. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests, and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today, is this week's interview and discussion rolled into one, it's with great, great pleasure that I welcome the very lovely Judy Reese to Hypnosis Weekly. I first encountered Judy through professional circles a great many number of years ago, at least it seems that way to me. I'd been following Judy's work for a while and I ended up having a clean language session with her one-to-one. When we spoke off-air, Judy reminded me that this was some eight years ago now. She also remembered some of the details of that call that we had back then and reminded me of some of the metaphors and symbolism that I'd shared with her that day. Since then, Judy's really contributed massively to the development of clean language. She's authored a brilliant book on the subject and continues to pioneer how it's used in a variety of fields, including the field of hypnotherapy, of course. Look out for the bit in today's discussion and interview where Judy starts asking me some clean language questions and I dither. I regain composure eventually and take back control of my own podcast. Judy does share much here. I think you'll learn a great deal. So for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview and discussion rolled into one. So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome onto Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Judy Rees. Welcome, Judy.
1: Hello, great to be here.
0: So let's roll our sleeves up, get stuck straight in. For anybody who simply does not know, could you just explain what clean language is for us first of all?
1: Well, I describe it in various ways: um, a precision toolkit for directing someone's attention mm. um, for A precision toolkit for exploring metaphors, it's also a particular way of helping people to understand themselves and to understand other people. So it's a, it's a set of questions at one level. It's also a way of thinking about the way people think at another level. For me, it's clean language with a capital C, capital L, which is distinct from clean language with a small c and small l which is a concept from nlp ah. but they are related
0: yeah okay um, um oh, maybe maybe i can ask you about the relationship between them later on in that case that mm-hmm. would be that would be great um, um so so um, um i get that and and i've I, you know i've seen you present on this subject a couple of times and have just been in wonder and awe um, um just for, obviously most of the most of the people that listen to this particular podcast are hypnotherapists or hypnosis professionals. Can you give me an idea with regards to how clean language um, can become a useful tool for hypnotherapists and or perhaps related pra- practitioners
1: well i it 's so useful to so many people it 's difficult to know which thread to pull on first. but what I notice with my students who are hypnotherapists is they get very excited about how it helps them to direct their client's attention. Mm. And hypnosis at one level is all about directing attention and and using the hypnotist's voice to direct attention in particular ways. And when you direct attention in those ways, that has specific psychological effects. Mm. What I love about clean language is that it's like a a waking hypnosis – It's it's entirely conversational. There's no um, going to sleep about it at all. And and I I know that your students wouldn't be talking about hypnosis in terms of going to sleep anyway, but uh, um, you get the general drift. It's very, very awake, and yet it's very trancy, or it Mm. can be very trancy. It can be either very conversational or very trancy. And what it enables the hypnotherapist to do is elicit a huge amount of information from their client at the same time as helping the client to elicit information if you like from their own unconscious mind Mm. and you get that this beautiful um blend of things happening at once where the therapist is getting information from the client the client is getting information from themselves and as the client gets information from themselves while the therapist is directing their attention in particular ways change just happens and it's one that it when it happens at its best it's absolutely beautiful this, ah. these real amazing moments of insight where people go blimey yeah things just changed and they, they didn't have to make it change. There was no willpower required at this stage. It was like um click of a fingers and everything has changed in the person's perception. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't more work to do, but sometimes an insight changes everything. So uh, if one realises, for example, that uh, so I I I had a realisation this last week that I had all, I didn't know before that I'd always been frightened of PT instructors, exercise instructors of various kinds. Yeah. And suddenly I realized that I, I was responding to people who were trying to coach me in ways that was entirely inappropriate. It was the response of a, a frightened four year old. Mm. Um, and just that insight was enough to enable me to do something different. To ev- If I heard someone shouting at me, I would just, actually, I'm an adult. I can decide whether to respond to that thought, that, that fear, that response, or not. Mm. So the insight on its own can make a huge difference. And with clean language, I mean, I, I measure my success in terms of insights per minute. Yeah. Clients yeah. get a lot of insights very, very quickly. And those insa- insights can have a really profound effect on, on what happens next.
0: So as a result of, of responding to and, and answering the questions, the place that they need to go to, so to speak, inherently creates insight sometimes without that necessarily even being the aim.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you, you mentioned um, um, you mentioned it, it being quite trancy at times. Is that in terms of because they are kind of going inside themselves and being quite insular as they're, as they're looking for 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 information or as they are um searching for for the response.
1: Yeah, so they they're going inside. So just as in a, yeah. in a hypnotherapy session you 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 are directing the client's attention to their interior world. Yeah, absolutely. That's typically what happens in a clean language session, not always. There are applications of clean language where that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. But normally that's what's happening. Yeah. And the guy who created Clean Language, David Grove, um, came from a hypnotherapy background.
0: Mm, that's right. So,
1: yeah. So it was completely uh, natural to him to use. I, I, I hesitate to say trance because we all know that trance isn't really a thing, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was natural to him to use um, trance-like states. Yeah. To to support change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so so as well as as well as it being used within a within a hypnotherapist 's work um I mean, you mentioned you know that, 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 that there were so many other applications of it um, um, Can you give us an idea of some of the other some of the other directions some of the other uses and the other sort of types of people that use it I mean can it be used in a personal development capacity too
1: It can and often is um so coaches use clean language a lot. So yeah. I would say the two biggest groups who are learning clean language at the moment are hypnotherapists and coaches. Yeah. Um, coaches would tend to use it typically to start with in a more conversational style and only go into a more trancy style later. Yeah. That's all sort of one on one work. Increasingly, there are people using it for themselves on themselves. Mm. Um, I have some um, hesitation about recommending that because I think um, it's just not as good as doing it with another person. Mm. But what's very exciting is when you've got um, two people who are exploring clean language together, you don't actually need to have a great expert to be the therapist, and, in inverted commas, the coach. Sure. Just someone who's there asking you the questions who's not you is all you need. You don't need huge levels of uh, training to to use this stuff usefully. Mm. Some of the other places it's useful, I said earlier, it's, it's about understanding yourself and others. One of the places I enjoy using it most is to help members of teams to understand each other better and communicate more effectively within the team my specific focus at the moment is virtual teams so teams who work together but not in the same geographical location mm. where they're often big communication cock-ups yeah what teaching them the basics of clean language does is help them to really get the fact that the other person is not thinking the same way as they are mm. which for a lot of people at the beginning of their personal development journey is a huge new thing. People tend to, well, children tend to assume that everybody, everybody knows what they know. Yeah. And everybody thinks the same as they think. Yeah. Some people grow up um, understanding that's not true. Others of us um, grow up and believe well into our adult lives that even at an unconscious level, obviously rationally, we know that not everybody can know what we know. But we act as if everybody means the same things, for example, by the same words. Yes. Um, I do an activity with groups where I ask everybody to think of a flower. And so the word flower, Mm. straightforward English word. You know what I mean by a flower, don't you?
0: (laughs) I'm going to say yes, but am I falling into a trap by saying yes? Well,
1: up to a point, yes, because... If, I go, if I've got a room of a dozen people, every single one of them will be thinking of a different flower. Yeah. So I ask each of them, what kind of flower is your flower? And I'll have a daffodil and a sunflower and a rose. And then there'll be another rose. Oh, aha, they say, we've got two roses. And I say, what kind of rose is your rose? And it should be a red rose from one person. What kind of rose is your rose oh it's a white rose it's a pink rose it's a rambling rose it's a single rose no once you get into the details everybody is thinking of something different Mm. but they think because they're all using the same word flower that they use they're thinking about the same thing yeah so once you start to tease out the differences with a single simple word like flower And then you start to think, well, what about the other things where we think we understand what each other means, like um, emotions, confidence, or fear, anger? What about complicated concepts like um, quantitative easing? Mm. You know, we all assume that we know what each other means by particular words, but we're just wrong. The other person will mean something very different. So once you get people to use these questions to find out what other people really mean, then you take communication to a whole new level within a team. Yeah. So that's something I'm very excited about doing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, In the same kind of category, um, clean language is increasingly being used for research, particularly academic research, where you really want to find out what the other person means by their answer to a question. Mm. so if somebody's being asked um about uh plans for a new reservoir near their home and they say well i'd like it to be not too big well what what does does that mean
0: yeah what does that mean (laughs) precisely yeah
1: um and similarly in the same category um i use the clean language in my podcast interviews um it's also used in recruitment interviews um in market research, in a whole bunch of other interviewee kind of con- uh, uh, places. I've forgotten the word I was yeah, going for. Yeah. Uh, environments. And one that I think is particularly important and interesting is that it's used in sales. Oh, really? To find out what a potential client actually wants. Mm. And I, I think that's a particularly beautiful application because I think it's something that is typically done very, very badly including by um, hypnotherapists, by coaches and uh, those kind of people, that instead of asking lots of questions and finding out what the other person, what the potential client actually wants, people are often rush to say, well, actually, I've got this, this, this and this that I could offer you. Yeah. But by inviting the person to tell you what they really want, what they really need, you put yourself in a position to actually know well, can I deliver that, or would it be better for some for me to recommend a colleague and actually in the process of getting the potential client to talk about what they want, they talk themselves into buying it right yeah so my husband uses it in sales in his business where he's doing a b2 b sales thing um he's selling services to humanitarian um ngos to organizations working overseas yeah and um you know just by helping the uh, the person on the phone to figure out what it is they want to buy he's do- he's providing a really handy service
0: yeah yeah and
1: sometimes they'll go away and say actually no i now realize i don't need what you've got but much more often they'll say i'll have a dozen
0: yeah <laughs> yeah quite I find that application in particular really, r- really fascinating in fact um um and and i i'm guessing that some people listening may have may draw some some parallels initially to to to, to using you the idea of using questions to to sort of understand someone's ongoing reality or, or i guess in n l p terms to, to to begin to understand and pick or 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 put together and piece piece by piece put together somebody's map of the world and and i'm guessing a lot of people that are listening will be quite familiar with things like the meta model for example um um, is there a relationship there or are these these completely contrasting and different approaches
1: they've got similarities they've got differences i to me the differences outweigh the similarities the similarity is they're both based on questions and they're both intended to help the Coach to find out about the other about the client's map of the world. Yeah. Um, the huge difference to me is in the. I hate to say the word energy because it, it it has all sorts of connotations, but the energy of the conversation seems to be profoundly different. Yes. When you start from clean language, to when you start from the meta model. Yeah. Now, a superb meta modeller can use the meta model in an elegant way, and not only maintain rapport with their client, but deepen the rapport with their client. Mm. And that's brilliant. But most people, when they, particularly when they start using the meta model, they break rapport really, really sharply, and they fi- it becomes a really difficult conversation. Mm.
0: It can be quite invasive, can't it? Yeah, it,
1: it feels like someone's prodding and poking at you to try and, you know, yeah, why are you... What is it you want? I, I remember um, when I first went on uh, NLP Master Practitioner, the first question I was asked was a very aggressive, what do you want? <laughs> and in those days, I was very, very shy, and I literally ran. Mm. Um I, I couldn't actually stay in the same room as that that conversation. It was just too unpleasant and, and aggressive mm. for someone who, you know, didn't know the answers. Yeah. By contrast, clean language almost seems by its nature to feel really gentle mm. while still being capable of getting just as much information, in fact probably more. Yeah. But there's something about the way the clean language questions are structured that enables them to sort of slip past people's defences, yeah, um, in a rather elegant way. Um, yeah, I. Think- I fear going off on a tangent about influence at this point, so I'll pause. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you, you know, I, I was just, I was just going to concur with that because, um, um, you know, b- on both occasions, I've seen you give live demonstrations, for example, um, um, in particular when you came to Bournemouth and, um, and you demonstrated it for the, for, for, for the peer group that we run here. Um, um, the way, the way it was used was, was, was really gentle, it was very sensitive, but also elicited such information. Um, and, the, the, you know, I mean, as I watched it, I even, you know, I was thinking to myself, where on earth did that come from? <laughs> you know, wh- where she got that from, you know? Um, um, And um, yeah, so. So let me just let me just pull it back a tiny little bit then. I mean, um, Judy, tell me, how how did you get into this? How did you get into this field? Um, you know, can you tell us a bit about about your background and how you arrived at where you are now?
1: Ooh, it's a long story, inevitably, because um, I've been involved in. Well, I, I've I've been involved in metaphor. I don't think we actually talked about metaphor as being part of this thing with clean language, but metaphor is absolutely critical to it.
0: Mm.
1: And I was I became interested in metaphor as a teenager um, when I first read uh, Lakeoff and Johnson's excellent book, Metaphors We Live By, mm. um, and. That was really the, the book, I know it wasn't the very first book that revealed how important metaphor is to the, the nature of thought, but it was certainly the first book to really popularise the idea that metaphor isn't just a frill on language, something that sort of Shakespeare and whatnot use, and uh, something special. It's actually really fundamental to how human beings think It's the native language of the unconscious mind. Mm. And metaphor appears in language because we think in language, not the other way around. Mm. So I've been interested in metaphor since I was a teenager, but then I became a news journalist. Metaphor is part of what we do. If you can get the story in metaphor, you've got your headline. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sick as a parrot. Yeah. And those kind of things. So always looking out for metaphor. Um, I worked for for many, many years as a news journalist, then became an editor, then uh, through a a series of freaky accidents, I started off doing NLP as part of a management training uh, thing we were doing at uh, at Teletext, Mm. and then gradually got more interested in NLP and personal development, less interested in uh, journalism. And... Immediately after leaving Teletext, found myself, well, Wendy Sullivan, who later became my co-author of the book Clean Language. Yeah. Um, she she just needed someone to give her a bit of a hand with her PR, so she invited me on one of her courses so that I could write about it. Yeah. And then um, we, her her assistant her admin assistant went off sick, long term sick. Just at the point where I got made redundant and needed uh, needed something to do, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, a, another long story follows. But uh, yeah. so just a series of accidents. And for the last ten years, I've been absolutely fascinated by this this thing, clean language with metaphor, and thinking what are the the most brilliant ways that this can be applied. When I got involved, it was pretty much all about therapy. Yeah. with a little bit of a tinge of coaching in there. Yeah. Now it's much more about coaching, it's much more about as i say, uh working with groups, um sales, all those kind of things. And I'm going to take credit for a bit of that. I I I was basically one of the people who were saying actually this thing is so much more than a te- therapy tool.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean I mean you know it I think I think for somebody like like myself that's that, that's watched from afar, I think that's um, that's obvious. And those that 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 that, that use clean language um, probably would probably suggest. And those that are much closer to you would say that you're being incredibly humble there. um um, so tell us about about your influences you've you've made some references to to some people and a book or two um um, already um um, who are your major influences in this in this field what are some of the books and authors and teachers that have been most influential upon you and perhaps you could tell us a bit about why
1: well first up let's say david grove the late david grove unfortunately there isn't a book that i can recommend his the only book that he co-authored it, you know, it's a historical interest, but uh, not really much more. Mm. Um, but he was a very brilliant bloke, and, and these are his ideas fundamentally. Mm. Um, Lakoff and Johnson, uh, George Lakoff and Mark Johnson, have written several books. The one that influenced me, the two that influenced me most, first, their 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 the book that made their name, Metaphors We Live By, back in the 80s. But then... More recently, a book called Philosophy in the Flesh, mm. which explains how it, it, it develops their work with metaphor and connects it to, cog- to um, embodied cognition, mm. how the body thinks. And that connection is, to me, really, really fundamental. When you talk about clean language, people imagine it to be something really heady. Yeah. But it's not about the head. It's about the whole person. Mm. You're working with ideas which um, are typically deeply embodied. Yeah. They're not just thoughts, rational thoughts. They are from the whole person. And that is quite a a big, thick book, Philosophy in the Flesh, but I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Really, really good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um another person that uh I should say has influenced me a lot is James Tripp who some of your your listeners yeah. will know about. Um we've done a fair bit of working together and thinking together. Um his work around uh, hypnosis without trance includes a lot of clean language ideas. Yeah. And uh he's done some really really Elegant things. Um, if people haven't looked up his YouTube video on the head, heart, and gut technique, which is, I think, a really, really elegantly simple, cleanish process, I really highly recommend it.
0: Right. I will. Um, I will make sure that we add a link to that on this particular episode's
1: page. It's it's not clean language, but you can see the influence of David Grove's work on what James has come up with. Yeah. And I just think it's really beautiful. Another clean language person to look up is Caitlin Walker. Yeah. Who has a book called From Contempt to Curiosity, which came out last year. Mm. All about how she has used clean language with groups. Yeah. She's also got a nice TED talk which is worth looking up. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to, there are other clean language people, um, Marion Way, um, Clean Approaches for Coaches, um, and also Penny Tompkins and James Lawley. Their book, um, Metaphors in Mind, is very comprehensive, but again, I would say now a little dated. Sure. Sure. Um, another book that I'm going to say has influenced me a lot, particularly, I suppose in the last year or so, is a book by Frederick Laloux called Reinventing Organizations, ah. which at one level has nothing to do with any of this stuff, but it does have something to do with it. It's about organizations who've embraced self-management or self-organization Um an invitation to wholeness and authenticity at work and a purpose-driven work. Mm. Now, those three ideas, I think particularly self-management, self-organisation and authenticity tie particularly closely to what seems to underpin clean language in terms of philosophy. Right. Um and when i read it it was one of those woof, woof, moments and since since reading it i've got more deeply involved in, in that whole reinventing organisations world um i'm now uh, nominally the leader of the rsa the Re- royal society of arts london network on reinventing work which is all about talking about those ideas yeah. and um which has put me into connection with all sorts of um People all over the world, basically, who are interested in thinking differently yeah. about work and about humanity at work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you touched upon something really, really interesting there, um, um, you know, with regards to the, 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 the philosophical stance. Um, um, is, there, is there a guiding and underpinning philosophy as far as clean language is concerned?
1: I think that's an interesting question. It's a tricky question. Sure. Because David Grove, whose idea this was, yeah. would have said no. Right. He would have well, but there was an implication in what he did, what he did, and in that answer no implies a philosophy.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So for him Part of the philosophical stance was that it was really important for him not to be. I can't think of a better way of putting it than Timothy Leary's words, laying his trip on another person.
0: Yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, I understand that. Which which in and of itself is 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 a nice guide, but albeit seemingly anarchic.
1: And there's a great big but in the middle of it. Mm hmm. And I still don't know whether David really grasped this or or, or whether he was um uh, yeah, I don't know is about whether how David thought about this because I never talked to him about it. And he, I I'm not I wasn't was never his great friend. I knew him very slightly. To me, the more you try not to influence your clients, potentially the more influential you are. Mm. The more you say, I'm not influencing you, the more you put yourself in a position of profound influence. Yeah. So if someone comes into a, a, a therapeutic conversation, and says, don't worry, you can trust me. I'm a clean language facilitator. I'm not going to give you advice. Hmm. But what they're going to do is they're going to direct your attention with some very, very specific questions, which will take your emotions in very particular directions. They are going to influence you probably more deeply than anyone who sits there pontificating or shouting at you as a a sports coach. Yeah. A, A sports coach shouting you can ignore. Suddenly finding yourself in floods of tears in a therapist's office when you've got no idea why, feels like you've got no control at all. Mm. Um, so yeah. and, and obviously this will probably have resonance with a lot of people who have who've learned hypnotherapy and hypnotism, I would say, in, in a, a more general sense some of them will have originally come to it because they wanted to have profound influence. Uh And they may, may well have gone through this, this same kind of journey that the realization that the more you push, the more the client resists. Uh The, the biggest influence can be had by sliding past that resistance To a more elegant place. Now, with these questions, with the clean language questions used elegantly, you are literally controlling your client's emotional state, or you can be. Mm. Because where attention goes, energy flows. So if you use your questions to put their attention on, for example, deep sadness, mm. they'll become sadder and sadder. Mm. If, on the other hand, you use your questions to um, put their attention on, for example, a state of deep curiosity, so I might ask you, um, so, Adam, when you're really... Think of a time when you were really, really curious. Mm. When you're at your most curious that's like what
0: mm. so um do you want me to actually answer that
1: go on go on
0: <laughs> yeah why not why not okay so when i'm at my most curious it's like now for me I'm relating Curious to a whole bunch of stuff. I don't have to explain myself, do I? Yeah. I just need to answer the question. Just answer the question. Um, um, It's like... It's like... really high-level attention, um, but in a very joyful fashion.
1: High-level attention in a very joyful fashion. Mm. And what kind of high-level is that high level of that high level attention
0: that is when i explain high level i'm thinking in terms of it's it's like elevated more than more than usual and a more focused in it it almost feels lighter Mm. Uh, as in as in sunlight rather than weight light
1: mm so elevated and lighter like mm. sunlight
0: mm.
1: now i'm not going to ask you millions of clean language questions unless you of course you'd like me to
0: no but that's <laughs> no, but that's fascinating um um that's fascinating because um, um, as soon as you started talking curiosity, I started um um being like i was researching i was feeling like. I was researching, and that um because I I love my research, I love my Mm. study, and um and it makes me feel very alive, very 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 high level part of my brain that perhaps, you know, I'm not using when when I'm you know wiping fruit puree off my children's clothing, Mm -hmm. Um, um and so yeah yeah absolutely that was that was fascinating and and the point that you were making as well about this notion that um. By asking the questions about curiosity,
1: absolutely, I became incredibly curious. So, uh, and there's an aspect of this that I hadn't realised. I started the conversation, and of course, I know you get through millions of research papers. Mm. Now, for some of us, the thought of reading research papers sounds like watching paint dry. Yeah, but what if we could model out how you do it? You do it with this high-level attention, with a very joyful fashion, mm. and it's lighter, like sunlight, and it's elevated, mm. which actually sounds quite fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, um, my wife and I have this discussion. You know, w- w- we're on holiday, Adam. Why are you reading journals? Um, <laughs> you know, you, you know, we we're, we're 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 both sipping piña coladas by the pool um and i'm reading a trashy romance novel but you adam you're reading a research paper what's what's (laughs) wrong with you um but but in in exactly the same sense that you've said yeah you know i I derive a huge amount of enjoyment from that
1: so here's another great way that you can use clean language to find out how someone does something well and see if you can adopt their their strategy
0: yeah brilliant brilliant i love that um um, I love the fact that you just took the reins of my podcast as well.
1: <laughs> brilliant,
0: brilliant. So, tell me, Judy, um, um, what has been what has been the most or one of the most impressive applications of clean language? I, I realise it's probably not something that is an application. You know, I, I don't want to do it an injustice by referring to it as that. But perhaps one of the most impressive experiences that you've had using it with somebody, or one of the most impressive applications that you've directly witnessed.
1: Well, a couple of the question. Impressive application is is quite interesting because for me, an impressive application would probably have to um, have a bit of research backup and some numbers and all those kind of things. And I know of a couple of those, but I didn't direct. Well, I I know some of the people involved. I didn't directly witness the work. Mm. So one of I suppose the single most impressive um, application of clean language I know about is in a small software company in Reading Mm. where they basically teach all their staff clean language and they use it as a very fundamental part of how they do their day-to-day work. Really great. Which means that all the staff understand each other at a deep level. Mm. And all the salespeople use clean language to find out about what they're their potential clients really want and to make sure that the software they develop is an absolute perfect fit for the client's uh, situation and the salespeople and the software developers actually talk to each other that never happens mm. um, there are no organizations in which salespeople and uh, software developers talk to each other it's impossible mm. um, but in this particular case that does happen And as a result, um, there were four or five different software companies producing very similar competitive products a few years ago. Now there is only one. There's only this one. They've seen off all the other competition. Wow. Wow. So that's one amazing application. Another amazing application is uh, at Liverpool John Moores University where clean language has been used to help um, students in the sports science department to become more collaborative learners to help each other to learn together mm. and uh there they they increased the number of people getting uh well one tutor group ended up getting one hundred percent first class degrees wow, and that again wow. it doesn 't happen no. I've spoken to the tutor of that tutor group. She says they were very, very ordinary. Um, the mixture of cleverer and less clever people. Um, but because they committed to supporting each other and they found ways to work together collaboratively and effectively, they all got firsts.
0: Wow. I uh, mean the, that, that, that's, I, that's just sinking into me how impressive that is.
1: Yeah. So these are and that's been written up. That's been written up as uh, the tutor put it in as a, a master's um, thesis. So it's um, out there as solid stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, the overall pass rate of students getting a two one or above went up from something like from the high 40 percent to somewhere in the 70 percent, 78 percent, I think, in the end.
0: Wow. Wow. Just wow yeah
1: so that's impressive
0: yeah yeah that is
1: on an organizational level um and then there are the personal experiences um and from a personal point of view the most impressive example i can come up with is my own change um i used to be incredibly shy incredibly anxious very very um internally focused um one of your one of your students um has spotted the vid- the piece of video that's out there of me in that previous state um i'll just tell you it exists i won't tell <laughs> you where um but it is still out there in published mat- material and he, he contacted me he said look is that you in that video and I said, "Yes, it is." And you're in in what what nearly ten years since it was recorded, um, nobody else has ever asked me about it. What do you think? And he said, "You're you're a different person." Uh. Uh. Um. And I think I am a different person. I think, well, lots of different things have contributed to the, to my personal development o- over those years. Not least, of course, uh, meeting my husband, but um the the man who is now my husband, I should say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think clean language and working with my colleagues who were coaching me using clean language put me in a place where I was at last able to connect with other people to connect with ordinary human beings on a on a on a straightforward level rather than being constantly terrified of what was happening yeah um i Already done quite a lot of NLP, and that had not made a significant difference, whereas clean language did because rather than um, as an Nlp there's, there's far too often in NLP there is a presupposition that the client is broken and needs to be fixed, that they should do should do things a different way yeah in clean language there 's a presupposition that the client is fine as they are. Mm. It is okay. And hit this place we're in now is a great place to build from.
0: Mm.
1: And um yeah, I had some fabulous um insights from Clean Language. I had some unpleasant experiences as well. I'm not saying it was all sweetness and light. You know, yeah. you come up against your demons, you uh you know, you you have some work to do. Yeah. Um but I think um the change in myself over those years for me, is uh, pretty convincing evidence that this stuff works.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you. Thank you for your candor there. And, you know, I, I mean, for, from my experience of you, certainly I, I cannot imagine you not being as you are. So, um, um, you, you know, I, I, find that, I find that fascinating. So, Judy, if you could go back... To when you started out as a clean language using professional knowing what you know now would you do anything differently and if so what what would you do and and is there any advice that the person you are today would give to the younger you and um would you would you share that and extend that to to the people listening today who might be considering how to
1: use clean language well i found myself giving the same piece of advice two or three times in the last couple of weeks so uh I think this probably is 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 the most important piece when you look at someone else doing something whether it's um hypnotherapy or clean language or sp- public speaking or or interviewing someone on a podcast whatever it is yeah people look at that and they go oh I couldn't do that because they're comparing how it feels on their inside to how it looks on the other person's outside. Mm. So when, apparently, when I'm um, doing a, a clean language demonstration or, a, a you know, any, anything involving clean language, I look and sound incredibly confident. Well... That doesn't mean I feel incredibly confident. Mm. I might know a lot about it. But the truth is that in any individual piece of work with a, you know, a client in any of uh, the broadest sense of a client in any piece of work, I never know what they're going to say next. No, I'm always living on my wits. I'm always on my toes. I'm all, The question is, um, how can I respond to the next thing that happens? Now, what's great about clean language is it it takes that as a given. Nobody's asking me to pretend to be the hypnotist and be the most important person in the room. No. So I can feel very unconfident and it can still look very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I was asking you questions, I was thinking, oh, goodness, it's, it's his podcast. I don't know whether he's going to play, you know. <laughs> but it probably sounded like I was really confident.
0: Yeah, I mean, you sounded completely at ease and comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, I would say that um, um, if anybody sounded like they were lacking confidence, it was probably me. Because I was thinking, ah, hang on, hang on. Shall I just answer, Shall I just answer from the gut? Or shall I answer in a way that is slightly reserved and not going to make me look like such a Burke on my own podcast? <laughs>
1: <today>? <laughs> and I think that that ties into the same thing. I mean, I know all your listeners will think, oh, Adam's completely confident. He's never, never going to be worried about looking like a Burke.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But absolutely. here we
1: have another real-life example of where you were actually thinking those kind of things.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: now when people are as i was trapped in their own heads they never get an opportunity to talk to each other about how it actually feels mm. and so that that's my piece of advice yeah. is uh,
0: i think that is um that's wonderful wonderful um it, it really is and and i really appreciate you sharing that um now judy i could just keep asking you stuff and um i'm just just keep sort of uh uh gladly losing my reins with regards to to the podcast and getting into what you're talking about um um, time is just at a place where um i need to ask you where can people go to learn more about your work and your approach to clean language and 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 just learn more about you and what you do and what you offer the world
1: well the place is my website judyreese.co.uk um things you can find on there there's stuff about my work with virtual teams um You can also get a, a, a recorded course I offer called Metaphor Mastery, mm. um, which basically is, is a gateway into a Facebook group where lots of people are learning clean language and talking about how they're applying it in real world situations, which is, I think, what makes me different from some of the other clean language trainers out there, because I'm not just about coaching. I'm not just about therapy. I'm about seeing how this stuff can make a difference in a whole range of different contexts. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'd encourage your, your, your listeners to uh, join me on that journey as, uh, yeah, as soon as they like it's yeah.
0: good Yeah. And, and, oh, and we'll if, put a link, we'll put a link um, to your site and, and to that page on the site as well um, at this particular episode. Did you want to add something? Sorry.
1: Yes. The, the, um, on the website you can sign up sign up for my newsletter. Yeah. Um which on its own is pretty pretty interesting. It's a, a weekly news newsletter where I um share lots of stuff from around the web about minds metaphor, embodied cognition, um occasionally bits of NLP stuff like that. Um but uh the advantage of signing up to the newsletter is that it will give you a special offer price for metaphor mastery. Ah
0: uh, great. Great. Um i'll make sure that that's on the site um judy thank you so much i'll have to um um, we'll have to get you back on the podcast again at another date because there's so much more i would love to ask and talk to you about um um, thank you so much for joining me on hypnosis weekly and and thank you so much for, for 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 your candor here today
1: thank you for having me it's been fun
0: I really enjoyed that interview and discussion. Um, Judy Reese is a truly lovely lady. Do go and check out her Metaphor Mastery course online. Um, Now then, let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. Just a single story that I wanted to focus in on today. Our first and only story then is entitled ITV Star Admits to Using Hypnosis to Avoid Speeding Fines from the Police. This story is what I wrote about this week and my article seemed to have generated a lot of opinion within the hypnosis field and, uh, and provoked uh, uh, perhaps a, a bit of a polarity of opinion. Um, one of the reasons that I have a regular slot here on this very po- podcast entitled Hypnosis in the News is because I think the media portrayal of hypnosis tends to influence opinion of the public greatly and provides the public with the majority of their education on the subject. The public's general understanding about hypnosis is typically incorrect or ill-informed at best. Uh, At least it has been in my experience. And the truth is the public are mainly unaware of the depth of research that the field of hypnotherapy has to support it. Many applications of hypnosis have undergone research studies that meet very strict criteria. And, you know, myself and colleagues and many others tend to write about this stuff. Um, And it's why, you know, on my on my Facebook page, my Twitter feed, I offer up a weekly evidence based meme um, and ask people to share it and uh, why I think it's so important that training colleges such as my own attempt to 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 close the chasm that exists between the front line of hypnotherapy and uh, the academics and researchers within these fields. With so much misinformation, inaccurate portrayal, myth and misconception about hypnosis in the media, it's tough for the public to know what's correct and what's not. I mean, how do you sift through all the nonsense if you don't have a vested interest? And that's why I think that Keith Barry is doing a massive disservice to the field of hypnosis by issuing a press release whereby he was interviewed and made a number of statements about how he apparently uses hypnosis. Keith Barry is the hypnotist on the ITV series You're Back in the Room, whereby he stars alongside Philip Schofield and a number of people who get hypnotised to do silly things to entertain the viewers during a primetime network TV slot. And so, this recent news release, this press release, um, quotes Keith Barry as saying um, um, and admitting to using hypnosis to avoid speeding fines from the police. Um, um, So, he claims that he uses hypnosis to get out of speeding fines by fooling police officers. And so, what I wanted to say on the subject is that, firstly, hypnosis does not fool people. A classic piece of research by the prolific hypnosis researcher Theodore Barber in 1969 showed that the ability to experience hypnotic phenomena does not indicate gullibility or weakness. Additionally, hypnotic subjects retain the ability to control their behaviour during hypnosis, to refuse to respond to suggestions, even oppose suggestions, you know. I'm referring to Lin Rue and Weeks' 1990 publication here. A police officer would easily be able to choose not to respond to anything Keith Barry is suggesting um, um, is hypnosis. In particular, if the police officer was being given suggestions to overlook the very law that he or she is employed to uphold. Secondly, you know, hypnosis doesn't work in a way that's being portrayed uh, um, by Keith Barry here. He's promoting gross misconception and myth. Hypnosis is collaborative. You know, hypnosis depends more on the efforts and abilities of the subject than on the skill of the hypnotist. You know, that's according to a paper by Hilgard in 1965, you know, another very famous um, and prolific hypnosis researcher. You know, Keith Barry might be being influential or charming or persuasive. Um, but that's not a hypnosis. Hypnosis is not done to or on someone. It, it is a verb. It's not a noun. You know, if you read the seminal uh, the seminal research paper, um, um, journal paper, rather, by um, R. White in the 1940s, um, and they say he says that, you know, hypnosis, it's a verb, it's not a noun. It's something the recipient is actively engaged in, not passively responding to. So why do so many people want to portray hypnosis like it's some sort of magic power that you exert upon others? My third point is, you know, if what he says is true, if hypnosis could be used in this way, you know, what about the ethics of what he's doing then? You know, I mean, he refers to fines, fines plural. So he's merely showing complete and continued disregard for speeding laws first of all secondly he's saying that on this plural number of times that he's been pulled over by the police for speeding he's quite happy to attempt to evade the correct legal consequences speeding limits are generally in place for a reason you know I mean I guess most people nip over them from time to time but to repeatedly have the police pulling you over for it I mean, he states, I'm not a mean person, so I don't go around doing evil things to people. So I'm guessing he's not yet had an accident and damaged property or caused anyone any harm with his speeding. And let's hope that if if he is continually speeding, he doesn't ever collide into a pedestrian. Some might consider such flagrant disregard for the law as being mean if uh, it had resulted in such an occurrence. Now, you know, I may be coming over as being a bit of a jobsworth here. You know, but this sort of stuff, I think, harms the field. And I know it upsets many of us that are trying incredibly hard to have hypnosis portrayed to some accurately and um, and become regarded as, as the credible field that, that it is. When ITV's You're Back in the Room TV show first aired, you know, I wrote about it and, and I spoke about it here. So I'm not going to repeat those, those points that I made uh, almost a year ago now. It just saddens me that when the field of hypnosis does get some limelight, the show simply tries to appeal to the lowest common denominator. It, you know, it misleads, it doesn't educate properly about what hypnosis is, how it works. And you know, you could, st- you could do that and still entertain people with it. Hypnosis is just not something that can be wielded like a Jedi in "Star Wars," you know I mean If it was, that's pretty much the only thing that could make me love this field more than I currently do. However, the ITV show wasn't happy with just portraying hypnosis in this misleading light. You know, it also then dishes out this even more misleading press release suggesting hypnosis could be used to get out of speeding fines and can be used to dupe police officers um, as, as, as a means of trying to plug the show. At least that's what I'm guessing. Can hypnosis really do that? And if so, why is the world not descending into anarchy? I mean, you know, Keith Barry's not the only human being on the planet who knows the, this stuff, is he? You know, um, um, the stuff that he, he talks about is written in books and it's on numerous websites and the same myths and nonsense get perpetuated. Yeah, I don't see hypnosis being wielded in this fashion on a daily basis around the world. You know, banks are not being robbed using hypnosis. Criminals are not evading the long arm of the law using hypnosis. Wars are not being won thanks to hypnosis. It's just not something being wielded in this fashion. Um, you know, I'd love to see Keith Barry. You know, somebody with with the limelight that he has and the elevated status that he has. You know, educate correctly about hypnosis and 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 move it beyond the kind of perception or the almost ridiculous joke like status that that the TV show gives it. And, uh, and it really helped develop the, the credibility that the field deserves. Um, so that was uh, that was the, the hypnosis in the news uh, this week. Um, again, I will in response to that, I'll make sure that we have some lighter news in next week's edition. Now, on to our evidence-based hypnosis fact of the week. And as I've said in recent weeks, these have changed slightly going forward. Um, Just because something is evidence-based, it doesn't necessarily mean it is a fact, however. And everything here is open to being superseded if new, better evidence is published uh, that we then yield to. However, calling it our evidence-based, potentially changeable point of the week is not quite as compelling. So I hope you'll indulge me calling it our fact of the week. And I'm going to stop saying this every week as of next time round. Um, so in a 1983 study by Jenkins and Pritchard, um, uh, it, was, uh, it, it was a review um, entitled Hypnosis, Practical Applications and Theoretical Considerations in Normal Labour. Uh, and this was um, um, published in the uh, International Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, a really impressive study, and drew the conclusion that hypnosis shortens labour and reduces analgesic use during childbirth, which is wonderful. And I mention this particular study and this particular fact because this study fitted again with the strict Shamblus and Holland criteria to qualify for good design. Um, um, so I think that's a really, really good, impressive one. Once again, this week. Okay, I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks. I will be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, uh, references made in discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Now, our next episode is actually going to be in two weeks time. It's Easter next week. And here in the UK, we have bank holidays on Friday and Monday, leaving us with uh, less time than usual to get things done. Uh, It's a time when everyone uh, gorges themselves on chocolate. So enjoy your chocolate instead of Hypnosis Weekly next week. Uh, Next time, though, I will be welcoming cognitive hypnotherapist and trainer Trevor Sylvester to Hypnosis Weekly. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, your comments, suggestions and questions. So please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us, really help us uh, reach more of the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Judy Reese. My thanks to you as always for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.